Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I am talking to a brother from another mother. I mean, look at this guy's haircut. We are actually both Danish Vikings, right? And uh, this is such an honor to have Kim Lohert, founder and CEO of Abstract, joining me today. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you so much, Lance. Pleasure to be here. So I joke about the uh, uh, brother from another mother, but I mean, we're sporting the same hairdo and my ancestors originated from uh, Denmark as we were talking and you're currently uh, in Denmark uh, tuned into this uh, conversation. So it's just really exciting to talk to another another person who has that heritage. (laughs) Thank you so much. And likewise. Yeah. And so if you're Danish, if you're Viking blood, you have to shave your head. I think that is the rule, is it not? I think it is. At least it's become the rule for the past uh, 10, 15 years, I guess. So (laughs) (laughs) no doubt. Okay. So we're not here to talk about our amazing hairstyles. We're here to talk about entrepreneurship and your journey. But before we get into all of those details, I love to ask my guests, what are three things that every entrepreneur needs to know based off of, you know, your experience growing and scaling the businesses that you've been involved with? Yeah, I think uh, the most important things that I've learned over the years is that being an entrepreneur is and and starting new businesses is hard work. You need to, you're going to learn so many skills. So I think it's important to be working hard, I think you need to be able to uh, pivot, uh, pivot your mindset. You know, you're going to run into uh, or stumble over uh, roadblocks and you need to be good at, at, at kind of handling that. And then the third thing I think is important is uh, make sure you hire the right people. You know, mm-hmm. really vet the people you get on your team because the team is everything when you start a business. And I, we're going to dig into that pivot mindset here a fair bit as we get into the conversation, because you've definitely had a pivot in, um, you know, what it is that you're doing now after 15 years of running a successful consultancy. Uh, but before we do that, can you tell me a little bit more about abstract and what is it that you're trying to solve there in terms of the problems that people have in, in their shopping, online shopping experience? Yeah, certainly. So what we've kind of seen over the years uh, building e-commerce solutions as a consultancy is that we really haven't seen, I would say, for the past uh, 15 to 20 years, when you look at the customer experience that people get in online shopping, it's very much the same as 15, 20 years ago. It's very, it's very static, I would say. It's, a, it's very much akin to a catalog where you can browse the products. Uh, on your own, and then you can look at them, you can add them to a basket, and you can check out. And, uh, you know, optimizing that checkout flow and making it very easy for the customers to actually get their products that they want in the basket and check out quickly. That's what the focus has been for the past, I would say, uh, at least 10, yeah, 10 to 15 years. Yeah. So I think the challenge is that uh, not with every category of products, but with a lot of categories of products, shopping is actually quite social. Humans are very social, but the social aspects of shopping is kind of offloaded to other platforms like Messenger or Slack or 
uh, WhatsApp or whichever uh, messaging platform or communication platform that people are using. So I think that's what we have, are trying to solve and say, hey, what would actually happen if we um, integrate the social aspects of shopping into the customer experience that you get in a store? So it becomes much more engaging. Uh, it becomes much more like the shopping experience you would have when you, at least the social aspects, when you shop with friends in physical stores. So that's yep. what we're trying to solve. Yeah, and I, I think this is really profound because uh, I never really thought about this before. Uh, you know, obviously, since the beginning of the pandemic, the amount of online shopping has just skyrocketed. And so I find myself still spending a tremendous amount of my shopping time online. Um, and you're right, like we are social beings and that is not something that happens in that online environment. And so in my circumstance, my partner, uh, we don't live together. Um, so she and I, you know, would be conversing over iMessage. Uh, mm. usually is, is the way that we're doing it. So, you know, I'll, I'll send her a screen grab or whatever of what I'm looking at to make sure, because I mean, I am stylistically challenged at the mm. best of times when it comes to fashion. And so mm. it's like, okay, so what do you think of these shoes or what do you think of this, this shirt or whatever? Right. Um, and so that happens all the time. Like you said, it's offloaded off of the website. And so this is a way for uh, e-commerce. Um, stores to be able to actually keep it there and probably transact at a much higher rate um, and value, I would expect, than people who aren't using this software. Exactly. And I think, uh, or not I think, what we know from data from China, for example, where they do have some of these large shopping platforms where people can engage socially as part of the shopping, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, uh, we see higher uh, conversion rates. We see higher average basket size. We see better customer retention. So a number of factors uh, and, and that uh, e-commerce, uh, uh, you know, stores or e-commerce uh, companies tend to look at uh, that really they don't really get those kind of benefits because it happens in other, in other uh, media. And yep. that's, again, that's what we're trying to solve. And of course, it doesn't really, it doesn't work for all uh, things that we shop, but for a lot of the products that we uh, tend to, to shop for online, uh, this could be something that could, could add an extra dimension uh, to, uh, to the shopping experience. And yeah. I think yeah. what actually a lot of people have a tendency to forget or a lot of e-commerce uh, stores or companies, what they tend to forget is that shopping is actually uh, very much um, entertainment as well. And, mm -hmm. uh, and this entertainment aspect is really uh, forgotten in a lot of the shopping experiences that were provided today. And well, I would say where we are entertained is also where we end up buying. I know for, you know, yeah, it's a small yeah. sample size, but for me at least, you know, where I go in the physical world for, you know, uh, to stores where I'm entertained is also where I'm more likely to end up buying the products that I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
for brands to really distinguish themselves and set themselves apart from from the competition, this is a really interesting layer that they can add to their website. So um, we have uh, clients of of ours through our agency that uh, have e-commerce stores, and and so is the business model such that it's a a monthly uh, cost for the e-commerce store, or is it a percentage of the transactions? How how are you guys uh, working the business model side of things? That's a really good question. Um, so this, again, is where we need to be able to pivot over time. So what we have been testing with customers currently is a monthly subscription fee and a, um, and a monthly consumption fee on top of that, meaning that the more our customers' uh, users uh, use uh, the social shopping or shared shopping product that we provide, the more it's going to be used. And then that is obviously incurring our cost, but we need to experiment over time and see, does it make more sense to actually give it away for free and then take a cut um, of whatever is bought through uh, our um, product or where it's a group buying. Uh, we need to, to be able to, to test that and see what makes sense and, and, and test it with the market as well. So, yeah. so we have a number of experiments lined up with regards to pricing but so far we've been we've been testing the the subscription fee and uh and consumption fee and that's that is where we're going to start so kim i think i can understand and appreciate what you're talking about in terms of you know having that consultancy and you're not able to really do the things that you want almost like you're you're kind of held back a bit by the customer and what the customer's roadmap or needs are. Um, I, I can relate to that in the sense that when I first started Ample Media, my creative director was actually a really great friend of mine, uh, still is a great friend. And uh, after a year of working uh, in the business, uh, doing the creative directing and the art himself, uh, for at that time, Ample Media was an animation studio only. Mm. Um, he started to get frustrated with, again, those restrictions that the clients had, and he just wanted to do his own art. And that's mm. kind of what it sounds like you want to do. You want to do your own art in the form of creating your own product and really seeing if you can mm. find that product market fit. Exactly. I think that yeah. makes very good sense. Yeah. So, so now... In terms of the business models themselves, I mean, very, very different business model, the consultancy versus uh, a product base. Uh, walk me through what you think are the advantages there of a product base over a consultancy. Yeah. So I think uh, as a consultancy business, uh, in a sense, you're, uh, that's at least uh, what I've been hearing uh, through all the years that I've been working as a consultant. You're always like, you're a couple of uh, three to six months away from going bankrupt. I know it's uh, yeah. kind of caricatured, but it, but it, it you, you always need to hunt a new project, uh, you know, to to continue your business. And of course, you need to do that as well when you build uh, a product business. But I think the the bigger difference is that, um, in a sense, you're not or we're not going to be as um, I would say as exposed when you lose good, um, good uh, consultants in your company, for example, or good employees, because you are going to have people coming in as, as a business. You're going to have people coming in and leaving over time, no matter how good you are, your best people are going to leave at some point. 
And, and that's a huge weakness, I would say, as a consultancy business, because at some point in time, your uh, consultants are going to have a personal link to your customers. And mm -hmm. uh, you are, as a business, relying on the uh, skills of your consultants, whereas a product business, you're more relying on the product that you build. And of course, you're still relying on a good team, as I mentioned before, um, but you're not going to be as exposed, at least with with our customers, uh, when someone on the team leaves um, for various reasons. So, so I think yeah. that's one aspect which is very different. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a really important distinction for sure because that is a massive risk. Like not just consultancies, but even like what we do uh, with our agency. The same idea when when we have. Uh, key people on the account side leave that relationship is potentially broken with the customer. Um, and so it, it is a risk that exactly. yeah, it's a lot less prevalent there in your business for sure. Yeah. Um, another thing that I was wondering about too, um, the appeal of the product is the scalability of it is just Certainly. almost infinite. I mean, obviously yeah. there's only so many e-commerce platforms out there or businesses that uh, are going to, you know, to, to buy the service, to buy the plugin, but it's infinite comparatively speaking than the consultancy is. So yeah. is that a huge motivator too, where you just look at it from a business model perspective where it's like, I build it once. And I mean, I mean that's simplifying it. You're obviously always mm. developing it um, but you build it and then you just sell it continuously and the the sales cost is not incrementally a whole lot more um, there from one to the next I think that's a really good point and that that is one of the points is that scalability is just completely different uh, yeah. from a product business especially from a SaaS business model it's just completely different uh, much much easier to scale as we all know yeah. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, cost of, of the next customer is close to zero. Uh, so, so yeah, completely different. And, and of course that motivates as well, uh, not being able to have a much, much larger reach, global reach essentially from more yeah. or less day one. And, yeah. uh, we just don't have that as a consultancy business. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And, and I would think that, you know, also in terms of, uh, attracting investment to it or your exit strategy at some point, you're, what you're building is this recurring revenue stream, which then the multiple that you can get off of that on your exit is going to be much more appealing than the multiple an agency or consultancy or anything else uh, can do without that locked in recurring revenue stream. Certainly, certainly. And, th and that's obviously a huge motivator as well. Um, much easier to attract investment. Not saying that attracting investment is easy. Yeah. It's hard work, but, uh, but it is, of course, more, uh, a lot easier to, to find, uh, good investors that have done this before, uh, you know, have knowledge about how to build a business, uh, a SaaS business that needs to have global reach and so on and so forth. Yeah. And as you mentioned, much more interesting for investors as well. So I'm curious because this is a totally different business model, the, the SaaS model compared to what you were doing. Um, what do you find has been transferable skills from running a uh, consultancy for 15 years and, and understanding 
you know, the, the development world. Um, what have you been able to transfer into this business that would make this business easier for you to start than say a guy like me? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question as well. Um, I think if you look at the product that we're going to market with right now, the shared shopping product, um, you know, that is something that a, you can say developers, of course, it's, it's, it's possible for other developers to build something similar. Uh, what we're actually building is a development platform which sits underneath the shared shopping product. We have a number of other services in the pipeline. So that's part of our go-to-market model for, for, uh, for our development platform is to, uh, to essentially have these different products on top of the, of the platform uh, mm -hmm. to, to showcase the value of when you build your software for uh, also um, – or to also kind of uh, take into consideration the social aspects of using that particular product, uh, then there's a lot of value in that. And uh, you, your question was, so how can I bring uh, the knowledge that I have uh, from 15 years running a consultancy business uh, into the new business? So what we're doing with the development platform is that we're, uh, obviously we need to make it easy to extend on the core functionalities that we provide in the shared shopping uh, product. So developers or agencies can easily extend on the functionality uh, that, or the basic functionality that we provide to make it much more uh, integrated into the online store that they are running uh, mm -hmm. from a UX perspective. Uh, so that's one thing we have knowledge from my previous consultancy business on how consultancies in general work uh, and development teams, how they work. Uh, I would say today uh, development teams are much more diverse than they were 10, 10 15 years ago when I started consulting. Uh, you know, it was very kind of technical, but the level of the platforms and the products we use are just have, have just been lifted. So you bring more people into the into a development team, uh, UX developers, uh, designers. You have, of course, the front end and back end developers, but you also have DevOps people and business analysts or data uh, and BI uh, kind of personalities. And these different roles, at least that was how it was in my consulting business. They're very different people, and it's actually the people side of things that is a challenge in a development team in my experience is that it's different people with different personalities and so you can say a backend developer has is very it's very easy for a backend developer talking to another backend developer but actually even backend developers and frontend developers have uh, you know difficulties agreeing on the interfaces and that just that challenge just kind of I wouldn't say explode, but but increases when you have UX designers who need to hand over what they have designed to a development team that then needs to interpret. And then, you know, your business intelligence people that need to set up tracking, uh, they need to understand, you know, how, how, how can we track this? So they need to talk to both the UX people and the developers to get that. So, so I hope you can it makes sense that you can kind of see that you have different people needing to interpret what other uh, people on the team have been doing. And that is actually one of the challenges that the development platform that we're uh, building underneath 
is also trying to, I wouldn't say solve, but make it easier for, for these different roles to actually communicate with each other. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so having that wealth of experience and understanding is just going to really play well in this business. Now, there's going to be some challenges, though, I would imagine that you're going to have to overcome that are a little bit different than what you were needing to overcome in the consultancy. So talk to me a little bit about what you anticipate will be your biggest challenges that you're going to face over the next year or two uh, to really, you know, achieve the the growth or the company scale that you want it to have in that mm. same period of time. So what are your biggest yeah. challenges that you see right in front yeah. of you? Uh, really good question as well. Uh, I would say the challenge, the initial challenge that we see is that we're bringing something to the market that the, I would say the e-commerce stores haven't seen before if, and also their customers really haven't seen before. So I would argue that being social or having social engagement when you shop, for example, uh, clothing, as you mentioned uh, uh, in the beginning, or travels, you know, with friends or other products or, or services, you know, the social aspects is something that we do already. But having it as part of this shopping experience and not offloading it to our go-to uh, chat uh, client or whatever is going to be a little bit challenging initially. Because how do we tell the the customers, hey, if you click on this button, you can very easily start shopping with your friends. So that's an initial challenge that we have. Um, once we get past that. Uh, with our beta customers, and we know how, we we get insights on okay, how is it we promote this kind of service? Uh, what are best practices from a business perspective when you roll when you introduce a completely new feature like this? Uh, yeah. You know, then it's going to be a lot easier for us to sell in with customers once we have uh, you know re really good data where we can say okay, when you start doing this and communicate this way about shared shopping with your customers, then they're much more likely to use it. Uh, and then you're going to see these kinds of returns. You know, we, we anticipate that once we have that data, it's going to be a lot easier to sell, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that but that's the initial sense. challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, the longer ahead. term challenge, I would say, is uh, obviously scaling a team, you know, finding mm -hmm. the right people. You know, having been in business for 15 years, uh, I've had uh, really good colleagues in my consultancy business. And I've had, uh, I would say, not bad colleagues, but people who, are, who were good consultants, but not necessarily the best developers. And it's a different skill set. I'm not, you know, building a product team. Of course, I still need good people, but I don't need good consultants. I need people who are very skilled developers. But of course, I also need people who have the social aspect. But yeah. so I have a list of previous colleagues that I'm obviously in dialogue with and trying to lure into this new business and say, hey, and, and lure sounds a negative, but actually say, hey, you need to be on board with this. You, you know, we need you. And I think it would be interesting for you to join this journey that we're on. Uh, yeah. So so that's the second thing, attracting talent, I would say, and building a really good team. 
Yeah. And third, yeah, the, the scale. Yeah. I, I was just going to say the human resources. I mean, that's, that's just always a challenge, no matter what anybody says in any industry. And if you don't have the human resources figured out, you're never going to find the, the success. You're never going to be able to get that growth that you're looking for. So, yeah. Okay. Continue on number three. Yeah. And I think number, number three is scale, right? So initially I yeah. have, you know, I have a list obviously of people, but it's a finite list <laughs> and, uh, and uh, hopefully soon that list is not going to be enough. And um, so scale is the third challenge, I would say. Uh, scale from a, from a team perspective, you know, getting uh, new people on board fast enough uh, who have the right, uh, I would say, personality, the, the right uh, attention to detail, and also the, the, the right chemistry with the team that we're building. And because what we're trying to build is a, is a, is a team which is over time at least going to be global. Uh, you know, how do we build an, a team that is distributed? I, ha, I do not have a lot of experience with that. So that's certainly something that we need to be figure out a good way of doing. And, and obviously that can either be via someone we hire who has this experience or we need to get this experience. But I'm sure it's a challenge, but it's, it's a solvable challenge. Yeah, yeah. Other people have done it, right? And so it's not one of those things that uh, that that is novel. It's just a matter of you don't have that expertise yet. Uh, so exactly. it will come. I, I'm I'm curious about uh, you know the big difference again between the consultancy and the product is just the the way that you would market your business. You obviously have to you know, the opportunity to have many, many, many more customers, but also that is the challenge is trying to attract and, and pitch your product, get your product in front of them uh, mm. in that lowest cost for customer acquired as possible. So what is the the, the thinking there? Um, do you have that, um, you know, already internally? Is that something that you're building out uh, as a future step? Um, how are you tackling the marketing? Because it's so much different than what it was in your yeah. other business. Yeah. Marketing is always, I think, again, going back to what kind of team are we building? Um, I would say um, at least initially, you know, things will change over time. But initially, we will be building a core development team and a core sales team. I would say, yeah. uh, but marketing is, is a resource where we would probably be looking at buying that as an external service as well as, you know, just as we will be doing with legal, with, uh, accounting and other things that are not core to the business. So I think that's something that you also need to be aware of as a, uh, as a, uh, startup or that, you know, which are the core you know, features of your team that you need to have in-house and which are you going to buy uh, externally, you know, from consultants because yeah. you're not going to be able to have everyone, everyone in, uh, internally uh, to begin with. So marketing would be something that I would imagine that we would be uh, engaging with outside uh, advice and, and someone to run that over time. I would imagine that it's uh, that uh, if we can find, and of course we will be able to find, but a really good CMO who can yeah. drive that, and then they will probably be engaging with uh, you know external consultants to help with with the actual work. But that will probably be the path that we're looking at, and yeah. we'll be investigating. But uh, 
yeah. it wouldn't be internal at least for for the beginning yeah well and uh i i might know a company uh actually i, I yeah <laughs> just i'll joking aside it's yeah. um it it's interesting because of your consultancy background. I think you're going to be able to navigate through that a lot better than the average company in terms of, okay, so how do I assess which ones we need to be internally, you know, leveraging the expertise and building that in-house and, and then mm. leveraging ex external uh, consultants and, and agencies and so on um, because you have that understanding as to the because we're we're always as the consultants we're always selling that as to there's a value in not having it necessarily inside uh the organization right and so mm. um that you'll be able to figure out that cost benefit analysis a lot better than the average business i suspect yeah th this has been really great kim i i could talk to you for another half hour without <laughs> a problem at all and and even longer than that um but unfortunately we we ran out of time today uh, if somebody wanted to connect with you, though, to follow up and to learn more about, you, you know, the business abstract or uh, just to connect with you on a personal level, what is the best yeah. way for people to reach out to you? Well, I think people, you know, I'm very open to uh, to meet up with people. I think uh, as a founder uh, of a startup, I, I love sharing uh, yeah. my experiences and I think it's important to pay it forward. So people are, are very welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn uh or uh write me an email uh i try to be very uh you know if people are uh writing personal emails i always uh you know take my time to respond uh properly um uh if i can see that it's a robot contacting me uh you're not going to get a response uh so but but personal emails or outreach on on linkedin is very very welcome i'd love to share and yeah. assist in any way I can uh, within the means of time, time that I have available. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a matter of time between the, before the robots are talking to each other and we're just sitting back having a beer on the beach, I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so thank you very much. I really appreciate taking the time today. And for those of you who are listening, if you enjoyed this episode, there's a whole pile of other ones over in our archives at amplifyyourbusiness.ca. And obviously, if you're watching this and want to just listen to it in audio only, we're available on all the major podcasting platforms. Just search Amplify Your Business there. Until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. And thank you once again, Kim. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for your time, Lance.